This is the second Sunday of Easter. It is our liturgical calendar. It is a day on the liturgical calendar. Though Christ had already risen, our symbolic remembrances helped to keep us in community and focused on kingdom living. We have celebrated the resurrection. So, what's next? The stone rolled away and the son of man was no longer in the tomb. On the third day, he arose, so we're beyond that. The enemy of our soul will have us to believe that the work is done. That's it, folks. We can go back home. Celebration's over. The party is over. And now we can pat ourselves on the back and tell us ourselves what a great job we have done. And in doing so, we can swim in the pond of our own arrogance or drown in the sea of our own self-loathing. Or, better still, we can accept our proper places as children of the king. It's on. So those are our family jewels. You've got a crown, and I've got a crown. Neither of us are wearing that thorny crown. I don't think we could stand it. Let us pray. Loving God, Scripture tells us that if we belong to Christ, then we are heirs to the promise that you gave Abraham, that all the families of the earth would be blessed. For this promise, we cannot thank you enough. Even still, we are not worthy to take part in the blessings that you bestow upon us. Caught up with the world's news instead of your good news, we stumble and fall daily. We need, to keep, we need you to keep us on track. We are but broken vessels, yet called to serve in your name. I am still trying to grasp your vastness and how your love mends my brokenness. How great you are. Speak through me and give me clarity of voice. Open the hearts of your people that we may all leave restored and better prepared to serve you in truth and in love. Amen. I love music. Some of you who have spent a little time with me know I love music. Music nourishes my soul. I cannot play. I cannot sing it, but I listen with every part of my being. 
Without question, though, my deep love for music does not ease my number one fear. This is my confession. This is my story. And this is where I let the cat out of the bag. I have allurophobia, gatophobia, a deeply ingrained fear of cats. Now, don't take this personal. Yes, house cats. I know many of you have a furry, four-legged creature called a cat running around. But this is my story. People either love cats or they hate cats. There's no in-between. I don't hate cats. I have a fear of cats. I can say that I used to love cats when I was 40 inches tall and maybe 26 inches, 20 pounds. Now I'm just mainly cautious. I was traumatized by this four-legged living creature that I originally found to be cute, cuddly, and curious. Over the course of my youth, on four different occasions, different furry critters either attacked me or caused my family to fear for dear life. Why me? I have no idea. But in this fear, it has caused me to be stained with a constant drip, like an unremitting drip of water. This fear has eroded the very heart of my innocence. My fear became its own person. It roamed freely everywhere, turning my own entire world into a jungle. I lived like the hunted in cage, you know, where there's fear, there is no freedom. I have vivid, loving memories of my mother. It was not a secret, though. My mother had a death grip fear on cats. I have no idea why. Mama loved fish, birds, and all other animals. Four siblings and I alone inherited her behavioral response to cats. Sound familiar, <laughs> Job? I alone am here to tell the story. The response, jump on top of the furniture or the car and scream until Jesus comes. <laughs> Gotta love my mom. May she rest in peace. Car horns are amazing. Other than to avoid an accident, I believe the only other reason to blow a car horn is determined to determine if the occupant of the house owns a cat or if there's a furry creature resting underneath my car warming himself or herself. Then you blow. Really, really, seriously, don't blow a horn unless there's an obvious reason, other than waiting a split second at the green light, right? Can I get an amen? <laughs> now, I cherish my family. They understand my fear and will run interference. 
shoe cat, don't bother my wife, don't bother my mom. It's, it's really embarrassing. I love my children. I wanted to ensure that my children would not have the same death-gripping fear I had. So thus, I adopted not another child, but a cat. It was an abandoned cat. That was a long time ago, and it's an even longer story. But I'm not sure the gender, but its name was Acorn. Acorn lived inside with us. I love a clean home. So the care of Acorn fell to me. Litter box and food, scoop and dump. I took care of Acorn as if I loved cats. That freezing winter in Cleveland, Ohio, the same year I rededicated my life and service to the work of God's kingdom, I surrendered my fear of cats in exchange for the love of my children that they would never find themselves living in fear of something that they could actually control. It was win, win, win. I know you all are used to the win, win. Three things happened. My now adult babies grew up without the same fear of cats that I have. Me, a broken vessel, God's little child, found her way back home. And I, and God, took care of me and my fear of cats has kind of declined. I thank God for car horns, for wisdom, and for love. Though not always as paralyzing as my fear of cats were, I'm an overcomer. Do we not all have fears in one form or another? I believe human emotion and performance is guided by a set of maybe four fears on a continuum. It's the fear of abandonment or isolation. You know, you can be isolated in a room filled with people. The fear of failure or success. The fear of not being loved or lovable. And the fear of giving or receiving love. Love can be overwhelming. If you've ever had someone to love you so much that you become overwhelmed. The God of Israel, our God, spoke in the days of Isaiah, and he said, Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. 
I have called you by your name. And you, church, my brothers and sisters, my siblings, he says, are mine. I am an overcomer, if I didn't tell you that already. Just don't put a fuzzy feline in my lap, or the next time I see you sitting at a traffic light, I'm blowing that horn. That's a trigger, I'm telling you. Last week at the end of Easter sermon, we were reminded of the Great Commission. Go to the ends of the earth and share the gospel. How on earth are we going to share the gospel when we harbor you fill in the blank, whatever fear it is. We harbor fears of giving all of ourselves and becoming vulnerable. And I, I know I'm not alone. I can't be alone. I'm human, and we're all human. So I'll read, I'm not going to read the entire set of verses, uh, John 15. 10 through 17, but I do want to read the key verse. Can you change the... Perfect, thank you. In the Pew Bible, you will see it at page 983. And I'll go to 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friend, says Jesus. If you do what I command you, his command is that you love one another, that I love you, that you love me. Each apostle, though, writes a different version of the same commandment that Jesus gives. In St. Mark, it is called the first commandment to love God. In John, it is referred to as the new commandment to love one another. And in Matthew, it is the great commandment. Love the Lord God and love your neighbor. It's in there as yourself. And in St. Luke, Jesus commands us to be good Samaritans. When we say to Jesus, I love you, I love you more today because you cared for me in such a, in such a special way, Jesus says, and I love you more. I died on a cross for you. I love you more. Now, there are many, many types of love uh, in our human perception, and there are also catchphrases. Masquerade as love, unrequited love, manic love, excessive love, abusive love, neither of which is love, and crazy love is questionable. <laughs> One other love that is very capable of going in the opposite direction is tough love. As parents, we've had to execute or render tough 
love. But it can go the wrong way. Now, the lyrics to a song written decades ago but hit the charts remind me of what's wrong with the world, and it's still a very popular song. Many of us probably like it, and we probably like the author. Need to change the PowerPoint, please? It says, what's love got to do with it? It's just a second-hand emotion. Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? It was not written with the award-winning artist in mind, but it fits in the biopic about her abusive marriage. How many people ask that same question? You may not use the previous words, but if you are that person, or if you know someone who is living with physical or verbal neglect and abuse, just know that there are people who want to demonstrate kindness and godly love to you. If you live in fear for your life, please dial 911 immediately. Local authorities will be there. Or you can call the National D Domestic Abuse Hotline. The number is on the screen, 800-799-7233. You can also call the Church of the Lakes office where someone can speak with you and PCOL.org is where you can go. Type in help, and there's a page there that will direct you to many resources in the community. More detailed information is right there on the website, and we pray that God give you courage, endurance, and a way out. Change, please. The Bible speaks of at least five seemingly overlapping kinds of love. I'm only discussing maybe three of them. The number one love is agape love. It's referenced over 200 times in the New Testament. For example, in Greek, it's theos, agape, esten. God is love. Agape is unconditional love. That's God loving us unconditionally, no matter what we do. We're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Agape love doesn't have an emotional response to it. Eric Fromm, a noted, well, not so well noted, but he says love is the active participation in a person's life. That can be said about any love. It entails faithfulness, commitment, and yes, sacrifices. No one, Jesus says, has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. And Jesus said, and I love you more. Philia love, as in the Philadelphia city brotherly love. Philia is generally love, not generic. It's not a generic love, but it includes love for your fellow human. It's the toughest love, I think, to imitate. 
it's the one I'll devote more attention to. I placed it second to agape love because it is the leading expression of love that fulfills our commandment to love and it covers the broadest spectrum of this love. The Apostle Paul strongly encouraged followers to make every effort to support your faith with, it's in the Bible, it says brotherly love and brotherly affection with love. We do not, we do have to admit it's easy to love when somebody loves you back. Nothing to it. We got God down pat. I love you, you love me. And that's the way that it works. No opposite, the opposition though to philia love is phobia. A phobia, as I discussed, is a fear. How can you demonstrate love in the face of great fears without subduing your fear on the table of love? Such as fear of having your heart broken, or we fear someone not loving us back. God's love is special. We experience God's love through people, through one another. And it's challenging for a non or a new Christian to grasp that we are human who do not always respond to life in a Christian way. We don't always act loving towards one another or loving towards the world. The big C, the church in general. Everyone is not skilled in loving. We are all trying to work out our own salvation. People who live a Christian life experience growth in different dimensions, in different ways, at different times. We are a very imperfect people. We're trying to live a life of holiness. Yes, the Bible says, be holy as I am holy. A person Break your heart just by ignoring you at one moment you feel down and in need of love. However you look at it, we have been trained with a very strong Protestant ethic. Chin up, back straight, nose to the grindstone. That's the upbringing. Not everyone wants to examine their emotions. They don't even want to talk about emotions. Who has time for emotions? The song says, who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? So we just shut our hearts off. That song charted. And so people are shutting down their hearts because they don't need that heart. But in the millisecond of being ignored, abandonment, isolation, loneliness, or all the negative emotions that can feel that spot, that millisecond spot, without even being noticed, without you noticing that now you're upset about something. It's just like a prick from the phlebotomist drawing blood. Boop, and you say, oh, did you get it? And then you look and there's a capsule full of blood and they're going, yep, and they put the Band-Aid on and you're out the door, right? Nobody, then, then we get this 
message. You know who's waiting to whisper in our ears? You know who's waiting. It's the enemy of our soul. And that enemy is waiting to whisper garbage in your ear. It says something like this, nobody really loves you. No matter how successful you are, nobody loves you. Just one person didn't say good morning, and all of a sudden, the whole world is against you. Now, I am being, well, I don't know. I might not be exaggerating. That's how he works. It works, he works, she works. Agape love, now, a person who's otherwise successful, who at one point in time thought they were doing everything right, is suddenly found unable to express agape love. And then what's worse than that, there's another love, philatia love. It's the unconditional self-acceptance, the love of self. So if you don't love yourself, how can we love others? It flows out. We have to love God first. We judge ourselves by some really unreasonable standards because the world says this is what you look like, this is what you're supposed to be. You're supposed to carry an iPhone, not a Samsung, or a Samsung. You're supposed to have AT&T or Verizon, not Metro West. You're supposed to do all of these things because that makes you more lovable. We're judging ourselves based on those standards. When a fear of being unlovable creeps up without notice, we become the very person to whom we seek to share the gospel. We cloak ourselves in fear and doubt, and then self-love vanishes. We can't pray because we feel now God no longer loves us either. Again, church, I'm only emphasizing one action many times that drips, drip, 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 like water erodes the very fabric of our soul. This happens in our daily encounters that fall in the range of normal. And now you have a bleeding heart. You refuse to deal with that person ever or again or even worse grin and bear it. Then ending a relationship may be fine. Some relationships need to be severed. It's not getting you to the life of holiness. But my friends, do not let a person or a group of people prevent you from wearing your crown. Do not block God from bending you to his will. Emotional hurt teaches us how to cloak ourselves in darkness becoming like ghosts in a horror film, haunted by our own painful experiences. The fear is bigger than the event, and life becomes paralyzing. But love teaches us how to walk boldly. So, try this. Pull the dagger out of your back. Uncloak your emotions. Chalk it up to experience. Do something. Go to the gym, have a conversation with another person. Let other people intercede for you. Talk to your pastor. 
And above all, you pray. Pray and pray and pray to the living God for wisdom and love on how to cleanse your heart, clear the cloud, and get you moving. There's work to be done. But the laborers are few. And I'm talking to myself. You just happen to be in the room. We cannot block S-O-N from shining in our lives. So let me straighten your crown. Let's take the big picture view. Are you willing to surrender your fear of being hurt on the table of God's love? Our rightful place belongs where love abides. So you saw the family Jews. These are not all the family Jews. These aren't even close. You might find them across the pond. But let's take a look at our family jewels, the real jewels of our crown, taking care of our environment, loving our brothers and our sisters, sharing bread with one another, attending the sanctuary, coming to church, just being on the grounds of the church, helping our neighbors, loving and enjoying our families, taking communi communion and remembrance of the one who died on the cross, Love is the very foundation for, on which God created the world, and then he gave dominion to us, his created. Our hearts belong to God. Our stuff belongs to God. God just gave us dominion. That means he gave us love, harmony, peace, and abundance, and it's ours to care for. Now, for those who are here, you know what it's like to be amongst the family of PCOL. But for those who have yet to join or come and visit in my journey here, I have found an abundance, an amazing amount of love. This is just a reminder to keep love where God abides. Now, if you will give me just one more moment, I'd like to read something to you that you've heard before and you've read before. Do I have time, Pastor? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, am I? Okay, perfect. This is... This is... This is the gift of love. And I want you to listen as if you've never heard it before. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, 
but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all of my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain. Love is patient, love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end, for we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide. These three and the greatest of these is love. And I leave you with Tertullian, who says, he who lives, who lives only to the benefit, only to benefit himself, confers on the world a benefit when he dies. Go out and love somebody. Amen.